Welcome back to the latest episode of the RegTech Pulse. Today, we are fortunate to be joined by Orr Kapolinski, who is the COO and co-founder of Tenurex. Um, Orr is going to be joining us today to talk about correspondent banking, which is an area that, that both Tenurex and LexisNexis Risk Solutions uh, work in. So, Orr, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I waited for a long time to be part of, of this uh, podcast and I'm uh, really thrilled. Well, you're welcome. So why don't we start by telling us, um, if you tell us a little bit about maybe your background personally, um, and then a little bit about Tenurex as well. Sure, uh, with pleasure. So um, um, we are co-founders, so um, it's it's never only myself. Um, I will, and I think that uh, I'll jointly, uh, we jointly, four of us uh, joined and to establish Tenorix because uh, we had a very big dream. And it was after we, all of us, uh, suffered a lot uh, in our career from, from banking partnerships and correspondent banking and cross border transactions. Uh, we are four founders. Uh, all of us uh, were uh, dealing with fintech, doing fintech for 10 and 10 plus years. Um, me personally, I, I started my fintech career after several years in law in 2011. And I actually led uh, financial institutions, small financial institutions, and had the, I always said I had the luck or the fortune to build everything from scratch. Um, from back office to compliance to trading rooms um, and you name it um, and, and grew up in, in this field from, from bottom. Um, I also had a chance to establish and open an EMI, which is a type of a new bank uh, back in, the, in 2018. And uh, then I suffered from the challenges of connecting to the payment grids, to acquiring banks, to cards, schemes. Uh, so my life were around operations and the bottlenecks and the hurdles of, of establishing uh, small financial institutions. Um, and I always uh, thought that something needs to be changed here. And this is when I met my, my friends and my co-founders. Uh, ben Yaniv Chechik is, is our CTO. Uh, ben was a co-founder and the first CTO of Payoneer which uh, I think one of the most successful uh, fintechs around there. And he's actually uh, a crucial uh, asset, asset in, in, our, uh, in, our, in our team. Uh, Eyal Azulai, my, my partner, is our product, uh, chief product officer. Eyal is coming from the, from the big bank side. He, was, uh, he led his uh, startup to be acquired by uh, BNY Mellon, which is one of the prominent uh, banks oh, in wow. the world. Yeah. Yes, and he actually uh, became a C level in in, uh, in Boni, and uh, you know, as an Israeli entrepreneur, he saw the how the big banks are working, and he saw a lot of things that he thought should be uh, improved, and then there, he saw a lot of problems over there, and he actually started to think how we can uh, solve this uh, these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, our fourth partner and, and our CEO is Izal Arielli. Izal is actually uh, the person that uh, worked with LexNex in the past. He led uh, Israeli Rectech named Scanovate, who dealt with the KYC and uh, KYB and onboarding. We all met 
uh, one day in Israel to speak about my my story uh, of how how I suffered from uh, from correspondent banks and, and banking partnerships that always failed me, and I always had to to chase big banks and, and uh, beg to receive an account. And then Ayal uh, came with a, with, a, with his uh, let's say vision about it, and and we actually answered in this half an hour of a coffee shop in a small coffee shop in Tel Aviv. We we ask ourselves how we will help a small Cypriot bank to ever receive a correspondent banking account with with uh, Bonnie. This was a mm-hmm. this was the question we answered. And uh, when we managed to answer the question, this is when we said, okay, now it's time to build Tenurix. So this is a little bit about myself and how we came together. Born at a coffee shop in Tel Aviv. Yes, indeed. And so I guess for, for anyone who doesn't know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, I guess, correspondent banking. You know, what what, what is it for anybody who's not familiar? And then a little bit about maybe how Tenurex helps to solve that problem before we dive into some of the wider challenges around correspondent banking. Sure. I think it, it's one of the most uh, un, unspoken uh, issues in the world. When when people think I'm transfer money, and, and especially cross-border, they think that, uh, yes, I'm doing SWIFT. Uh, so I'm wiring SWIFT and, and actually think that SWIFT is, is moving the money from, uh, from London to, to New York. But actually, in reality, money does ne- money is not moving. <laughs> money is not moving from the country. It's actually uh, sits. You can think about money like uh, like any crop that the country is uh, is manufacturing. So if uh, London is uh, is uh, manufacturing uh, pounds and uh, and United States are manufacturing dollar. Actually, these corps cannot leave the country without, uh, at will, the central banks are controlling it. So if a British bank wants to help their customers to move dollars or to hold dollars, they need a partner. And they, and they must find a partner in the United States because this is where the dollar grows. So correspondent banking is when... Uh, a bank from one country actually partners with another bank from another country to hold or serve the specific country's currency. Um, so when you're actually moving money, when you're actually sending uh, dollars from HSBC in London to uh, Bank of America in New York, there are two banks involved, minimum two banks involved, that are actually working together to facilitate this transaction. So this is correspondent banking. Mm-hmm. And they need to have that relationship set up, but they can't just do things on an ad hoc basis. And that's, is yeah. that the challenge that you're looking to solve with Tenure uh, it's, it's just It's such a good question because it's not a relationship. We always call it in Tenurex, at the moment it's an orthodox marriage because correspondent banking is such a, at the moment, such a difficult and risky operations between these two banks, they very carefully due diligence and judge each other before they're actually willing to go into this relationship, which they see as a, as a, as a lifetime marriage. Why? Because eventually, they, at the moment, they need to trust each other 
because they really don't have the ability to control every transaction that one bank needs to facilitate on behalf of another's bank customer. They don't know their customers. They don't know who are the beneficiaries of, of the customers of the other bank. So today, these relationships are very rigid. Uh, it takes so long to, to actually receive this relationship. And they are considered to be a very, very uh, risky for both banks. So it's an orthodox marriage, and this is what we are trying to solve here. Okay. And one of the things that I think when we were looking at doing this podcast, we came across a stat and it said that, you know, between 2011 and 2020, those correspondent banking, I guess, partnerships or marriages, as you call them, there's been a contraction of about 25%, which is is huge. Um, So why is it that you think that there has been such a such a decrease and and what are some of the risks associated with that yeah so so the, yes the, so the divorce percentages in this relationship is is quite high it's around 30 percent um uh the numbers you mentioned are, are a classic correspondent banking relationship it, it, they don't even mention that that the amounts of of regulated fintech and, and smaller financial institutions that are just not even able to to open the door for corresponding banking services. So actually the percentages are much higher. Um, the, the, the reasons for, for this, let's say, trend is always regulation and compliance. Um, in, in 2011, uh, global regulators, and especially in the area of anti-money laundering, realized that this the cross-border transaction and correspondent banking have a lot of risks because banks didn't do enough work around checking what are the transactions that are actually uh, executing on behalf of another banks. And, and regulators started to really um, audit heavily this, this revenue stream. Therefore, fines were, were granted and a lot of policies were drafted. And, and the reaction of banks was always... I will add more operational efforts. I will add more compliance people. I will med- I will add more costs in order to to maintain this service. So this is one. Number two, when when they when the cost of actually providing these services was were increased, then the PNL, the profit and loss calculations, were were different. So if if uh, now uh, a small bank from Nigeria. Is, is causing my, my bank to increase my, my operations and in millions and my risk in, in 500%, why should I keep this? Why should I, I keep uh, a, losing, a losing business? Mm. So th- the trend was, I'm going to, the trend and it's still uh, moving until today is let's terminate all the accounts that are really not profitable for me. Or I sense that they will have higher risk than than my risk appetite. So which this is, is what, yeah, yeah. Which which you understand from a bank's perspective, but then from a, a financial inclusion perspective, exactly. and I guess what, what you were saying was you're then essentially kind of cutting off these lines of business and this exactly. access exactly. for smaller banks for smaller countries. Exactly. So so today the world actually started to understand that what happened is, is, is a reaction that was, let's say, too aggressive. 
And the world see this problem today like global warming. Eventually, the G20 is, is, is starting to really work heavily on how to solve this de-risking problem and how to make cross-border transactions more, uh, let's say, efficient or, or with, with, with an ability to, for everyone to, to, buy, to do it, like, like buying bread or, or like drinking water. And, 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 and they started to work on it. But still, uh, this event has a lot of impacts, crucial impacts on social stability and, st- and, econo- and economical stability. We know that there are some countries. There is one, there is at the moment a famous case of the Caribbeans that are, they are just excluded from correspondent banking or, or other countries that are excluded from correspondent banking. The, what happened is that when a region or a segment is excluded from correspondent banking, the population still needs to do cross-border transactions. We are still living in a global world. They cannot be isolated. So what happened is that uh, uh, areas or segments that are weaker are actually paying higher costs and taking higher risk in order to execute a cross-border transaction. But, but this is not fair. Mm-hmm. And when, how how was it that I guess maybe just a, a very quick kind of overview of what what Tenerex is is working on to try to I guess improve those relationships or, or foster those relationships so that people who are potentially cut out of the financial the financial um, community at the moment how is it that you're working to solve some of those problems? Um, so in a very very high level, we decided to to solve the problem from inside out. So if the G20 and regulators and governments are speaking about the problem and they are doing what they know how, they know what to do. They, they regulated, they know how to make big conventions and speak and write very big uh, directives. We decided to take the contrary, the opposite side from inside out. And what we decided to do is looking at this relationship and, and actually understand that this, the mammoth problem of this relationship is the fact that, that it's institutional relationship. So that banks and countries and regulators see it as, a, as, a, as an institute that actually needs to get married with another institute. We said that if we will manage to reduce the relationship and, and not only the relationship, but how this business is being done, how it's being operated, to the, level, to the level of a single transaction and embed with this single transaction all the ingredients that people within an organization, inside the organization of a bank, needs to know and act in order to execute a single transaction, then we will solve the, the actual bottlenecks and frictions that are causing the, the symptoms. Uh, so... What we decided to do is actually solving the problem and not handling the symptoms. Got you. And and we we, we talked a little bit about um, some of those challenges, and maybe maybe we can dive into because I think you you made some very good points about um, sort of the the horizontal and the vertical challenges, and then obviously which which and you just spoke about how Tenurex are trying to I guess avoid some of those problems. But when you look at how a bank typically does this. 
what were some of those, I guess, horizontal and vertical problems? Because I thought that was quite interesting when we were talking so, about it. Yeah, so, thank you. So, so when, when we analyze the problems in, in this segment, we, we actually see, a as less, like you said, a horizontal misalignment and vertical misalignment. So the horizontal misalignment is, is coming from merely from the fact that every cross-border transaction is actually... It, it must involve a chain of banks or a change of financial institutions. Sometimes, and most of the times, this, uh, the, the pieces in the chain are not sitting in the same regulation, in the same jurisdiction, because it's like passing the package game. So every time the message is, is moving from one country to another, every bank sees a different view and he actually needs to adhere to a different regulation. And eventually, they don't have a clue What's going? Who is the eventually the ultimate payer? Who is paying, and who is supposed to receive this payment, and why? And uh, so this is and this is why we see a lot of issues around cross-border transactions that are we suffer them as uh, as businesses. We are paying so much fees for cross-border transaction. We are waiting between two to five days to receive or, or send money. We, we need to answer a million questions every time and we don't know where is the money. Like, like I'm, I'm a business that needs to receive my my monthly invoice. Mm-hmm. I'm not receiving the time because somewhere in the chain, a bank actually asks my my uh, my customers a lot of questions. Why, why they send me the money? So this is the horizontal misalignment. So many many banks in the change, many many entities involved don't don't see the same picture. So they need to to actually speak with each other on on legacy technology and and even emails and phones to understand what's going on with this simple payment. Um, this is the classical problem. What what was not what is not discussed because this is really internal internal problems, family problems that nobody discussed discussing with this uh, vertical, it's the vertical misalignment between people and departments in the bank. Um, every bank or every financial institution that is actually thinking of, of servicing correspondent banks or respondent banks or, or payments is, involved, is involving almost of it, most or even all of his department in this business. So in order to facilitate the payment, you need the payments operations, you need, uh, you need the COO, you need compliance, you need reconciliation. Most of the departments in the banks are actually working in order to facilitate this action. But the problem, and mainly with correspondent banking, cross-border, that these departments are, are working in silos. They don't mm-hmm. see the same information. They are not receiving the same data. Everyone has different KPIs. The compliance officer is terrified from, from fines, from, from, from the transactions that the banks, that the, the, the organization needs to execute on, on behalf of other financial institutions that it doesn't know. The payments operations are, are here to make it stretch through processing. They, they, they need to be very efficient. Uh, and obviously, the business needs to make more money. It needs to bring more volumes, more more uh, counterparties, and in the middle sits a CEO. A CEO said, "How much that it doesn't have? It has a big, big question mark. It doesn't know how much it cost me 
to execute one postal payment because I have so many frictions and shouting and asking mm-hmm. questions between my departments. And eventually I don't know if it's, if it's good or not, if it's a good business for me or not. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's good. It's, this is the vertical misalignment. And mm-hmm. from our questionnaires and surveys that we do with our customers, we see that most of the, most of the banks really and, and our customers understand that they currently don't have a unified view and, and a unified data view about a transaction. So they really don't know how to take a quick decision about their, their day-to-day work. That all makes sense. And I guess, you know, from, from, from our perspective, you know, we do a lot of work in, in the area of financial crime compliance. So we, we sympathise with these compliance officers who, you know, and there is risk involved. And obviously there are, maybe you could touch on some of those. Correct. The, the, the regulatory challenges. I mean, at the moment, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's a huge, huge issue. Everyone's kind of feeling the bite. Everyone's feeling the impacts of, you know, increasing sanctions. Um, is there, uh, what are the particular challenges, I guess, from a, you know, if you're a compliance officer trying to decide whether a counterparty um, or cross-border transaction should happen? And then a little bit about how those compliance officers maybe can 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 work in a way so that they can more easily determine whether or not cross-border transactions should Correct. be allowed to go ahead if it is genuine. Great. So, so here is where LexNex is coming to the picture, right? Um, regulation and, and AML specifically requires the compliance officers in the bank to, to know who are their customers. They need to know uh, to make sure that nothing bad is going through their systems, correct? Um, it's much yeah. easier to use systems like LexNex and, 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 and compliance and, and AML monitoring when you actually deal with, uh, with your customers, when you do onboarding, when you, when you work with your customers. Imagine the challenge of the same compliance officers and the same departments when they actually need to know who are the customers of other financial institutions sitting miles away from them. If the challenge to handle your customers is high, imagine that the challenge to understand what's going on behind the wire transfer of another customer of another yeah, bank. Your customers' customers. Yes, it's yeah. multiplied by, by 500. And imagine that you need also to know why they're sending this, this wire and, and why who is their beneficiary. So the challenges of, of compliance officers and, and back office departments in actually making sure that nothing wrong is is passing through their systems it's much 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 challenging in cross border in correspondent banking today most of the institutions are working are actually uh, doing it on a sampling basis on or on a on a, a let's say analytical uh, survey of aml monitoring systems right which are sitting uh, beside the the transaction flow and trying to find uh, anomalies or suspicious uh, behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, but we claim that this is not sufficient or, or it's not solving the operational problem mm-hmm. because it's post factum. It's like it's like it's like trying to to find a, a needle in the in the in the hide in the sorry haystack. 
yeah, needle in a haystack. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And it's creating so much internal noise between uh, compliance and operations that it's really not serving the cause. Compliance mm-hmm. should not be considered as deal breakers or the devils. Compliance are part of the business. And, mm-hmm. and this is what we want to achieve in Tenurix is allowing compliance a simple rule book, risk-based approach, their risk-based approach, their Bible of how they see the, the way the bank should operate or, or take risk and embed it digitally into each and every transaction, but not post-execution, pre-execution. Mm-hmm. Allow them to actually hold for a second all the department together for a millisecond and ask a very simple question. Now, when we know what is the story behind this payment, do we all want to execute it? Do we all want to approve it? Or do we want, all want to manually review it for a second and say, you know what, let's take it, but let's price it differently. Mm-hmm. So this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to serve not only the compliance, but to serve the team because we see it as a teamwork. And today, legacy systems, history, uh, politics, internal politics are actually forcing the the institutions not to play a team game. Mm So if, and this is, it's all been very sort of very doom and gloom this, this episode so far. So what are the, <laughs> what are some of the, I guess it, if. It's, if, a, it's if, by the way, <laughs> one of the challenges of our startup, and, and this is, mm-hmm. you know, everybody critics, you know, we are all 40 plus and this is not our first marriage. Let's say it's, it's our, this is our, uh, we, we are veterans. So why did you, why did you choose to tackle this mammoth problem? Mm-hmm. This is, you are, you are touching the the core issues of banking, you know, the, the SWIFT, the... You could have picked something easier. Yeah, but, but we like challenges. Yeah. So, so I guess moving from the challenges, because yes. obviously there, there, are, there are a lot. Um, I guess if, if companies were to... So, well, sorry, if, if financial institutions were, you know, if, if they do get this right and if, like you say, if they can, I guess, have a risk-based approach where they can make those decisions more quickly and more upfront... What are some of the opportunities that that allows? What would be some of the benefits for financial institutions and I guess for the financial industry as a whole? So, you know, uh, um, vision-wise, it's it's inclusion and not exclusion, okay? Um, imagine that instead of looking at the, at, the, at the correspondent banking on an institutional country, country level, a bank can see correspondent can watch and, and actually uh, create a revenue on a single transaction. So if it's a small, if it's a, a transaction that comes from a Nigerian bank, but it's about a, a boat, a boat, a, someone who wants to buy a boat, is it is it a dangerous? Is it not? Let let's let's speak about ex- inclusion and not exclusion. But this is a, in, a, in a vision way. Um, we are speaking in Tenorix on, on three main verticals, which are all actually impacting each other and creating eventually higher net margins for, for, for our customers. So first of all, we are dealing with operations. We, we understand that if we will allow all the parties in the team and all the, all the players to see the same unified view, 
to understand the data, to, to have an enriched data, have a digital workflows and, and a simpler uh, execution flows. You can actually reduce dramatically the cost uh, of, of offering this service. So we are cost efficiency is something that really today is, is something that is very, very important for every business in the world in, in these times. Number the second vertical we, we look at it's its growth. Imagine that um, now you can offer out-of-the-box correspondent banking services. Uh, many, many small and medium banks were avoiding and are avoiding to open this very lucrative revenue channel because they know they will not be able to handle the operational issues, the risk issues, the compliance issues. And now it's you have Tenurix, which is like a correspondent banking in a box, let's say. And, and suddenly you can offer these services to, to other banks or even domestically to MSBs or PSPs. So you can actually open a new revenue stream, which is, which is today uh, an amazing uh, opportunity for small and medium banks to stay alive. Then you have an ability to actually open maybe new segments within your correspondent banking. If today... Uh, you offered services only to domestically. Now you can look abroad and 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 look at the foreign banks and and, and work with them. We have always the the ability, and this is something new that we just launched. It's the crypto uh, related uh, transactions. How a bank can now serve crypto exchange or, or crypto related fintechs. Eventually, everyone needs. To, to touch the fiat, the money in the end. Mm-hmm. You just need to tell the right story. Um, so this is actually an amazing opportunity for a bank to, to maybe open abilities for revenues to, to service uh, tra- money transactions that are related to crypto assets. And, and obviously, when you, when you deal and, and speak with financial institutions and, and you know it and next next better than, than, than us, it's compliance. Mm. How do we improve compliance? How do we help compliance? So we are offering a new way of looking at, at KYC. So we are looking at KYT. We are, we are looking at know your transfer. We want to allow the compliance officer to, to reach a level of know your transfer and not know your counterparty or know your counterparty's customers. Um, we want to allow compliance better control. Instead of being an investigator, uh, actually take actions before the things are happening. So, and, and obviously uh, improve monitoring. And, and, and today, in today's world, mainly after COVID, how do we help compliance departments to, to not be such, so reliant on, on skilled employees? How do we, how do we help them to make it much more digital, efficient workflows, and especially in training and downstream their, their, uh, their knowledge. Because today it's a very, very heavy duty of compliance officers to educate and train every time new employees that are being recruited. So, so these are the, the three verticals that we are trying to improve uh, with our customers. Mm-hmm. No, and it's, and it's, it's 
good to hear and it's good to know that we're you know as with LexisNexis risk solutions obviously we're we're helping you in that way with with the data solutions that we provide so it's it's nice to be working with you guys and I guess we're coming up to time now so or maybe just one final takeaway if you've got one piece of advice or you know a, a closing thought that you would want to give the audience around this correspondent banking piece maybe what they should be thinking about that would be great um and, and we are well and, and this is I want to share the vision we have is in and I just came back from a, uh, a summit in in London uh, I think that the, the my best important note is that data is the most important thing in correspondent banking and, and in, and in, uh, in money movement. And I think that if financial institutions will trust LexisNexis Rix solutions and companies like Tenure Rix to provide them the best data, to validate the data and enable them to transfer the data securely and smartly, intelligently between internally their departments and externally their counterparties, eventually they can grant better services to their customers. And this is the take I have for correspondent banking. Perfect. And on that note, we will finish now. Or Kapolinski, COO and co-founder of Tenurex, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you want to learn more about Tenurex or about the KYC solutions that we provide at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, we will have the website addresses um, in the show notes. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We hope you join us next time on the RegTech Pulse. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.